the claims as far as the health effects and the health damages causing her. We have a, we definitely have a lot to learn there, and there are definitely a lot of um, allegations. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. My co-host, Bob Ambrosi from Massachusetts, is off on vacation today. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And today's show is sponsored by Clio, which is a web-based practice management software, and Landy Insurance. Well, Chinese drywall that has been used to rebuild New Orleans homes damaged in Hurricane Katrina is having crippling effects on the residents' property as well as their health. According to some class action suits, Knopf Gips KG, a German drywall manufacturer, allegedly used tainted drywall from their Chinese subsidiary, which allegedly resulted in noxious fumes and property damage, forcing residents to seek new homes. In addition to New Orleans, cases are popping up in Alabama, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, and South Carolina. And it's no wonder supposedly 600 million pounds of Chinese-made drywall can be found so far in at least 60,000 homes in the U.S. Well, in addition to property damage claims due to the contaminated drywall, there are many alleged personal injury claims out there, such as eye, ear, nose, and throat, and lung injuries. So on today's show, we're going to be taking a look at both sides of the Chinese drywall litigation. We'll look at the effects of Chinese drywall, the mounting lawsuits, and what the future holds for affected residents. Our first guest today is attorney Scott Wolf Jr. He's a construction litigator in Louisiana and Washington and the founding member of the bi-coastal firm Wolf Law Group. Attorney Wolf is a native of New Orleans and is also the founder and CEO of Express Lean Inc., a legal document preparation service for contractors. He focuses his practice on the legal issues facing the construction industry and has represented clients in multi-million dollar construction disputes in litigation and alternative dispute resolution proceedings. He also writes the blog Chinese Drywall Blog, which can be found at ChineseDrywallBlog.com. Welcome to the show, Attorney Scott Wolf. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having us. And our next guest is attorney John F. Mullen Sr. from the firm Nelson, Levine, De Luca, and Horst, which is a national insurance firm with offices in four states and in London, England. John is the chair of the firm's complex litigation practice group. He concentrates his practice on matters involving construction, network and data security risk, products liability, toxic torts, professional liability, and employment litigation. And he recently participated in a Chinese drywall litigation teleconference and will be presenting live in San Francisco on July 28th on this topic. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, John Mullen. Thank you very much, Craig. It's good to be here. And right now, we're going to hear from a family with the first documented Chinese drywall case in Louisiana. Here is Dr. Jill Donaldson discussing how Chinese drywall was discovered in her family's dream home. He walked in. The first thing he said was, I smell it. And every, and Jared and, you know, I wasn't here at the time, but my nanny was like, you smell what? And he said, I smell sulfur. He said, I'm going to tell you something that might break your heart, 
But he said, "There's this. This is exact thing is happening in Florida right now." And he said, "And, and a lot of people's AC coils were going out. The sulfur uh, that's emitting from the walls, uh, you know, corrodes all metals. Everything has to come out, back down to the studs." Well, that sounds a bit heart wrenching, uh, at least to hear Dr. Donaldson talk about what went on in her home. Scott and John, let's start off by discussing really what's the problem with Chinese uh, drywall. Sure, I'll, I'll go first. This is Scott. I um, well, the, the problem with Chinese drywall. I think everybody is discovering the problem with the effects of Chinese drywall. I think that they're tr- still trying to figure out what exactly is wrong with the drywall as far as it, the, the chemicals that are wrong with the drywall that's causing the effects. Um, but as far as effects go, like that lady said in that clip, um, the drywall itself is contaminated. It's got to go. And depending on the person's home and how long it's been there and the conditions it's been exposed to, uh, the, the wiring in the home can be damaged. The building studs can be damaged. Um, there are air-conditioned coils and air-conditioned systems that are being damaged from it. Um, and then there's some question as to whether or not the contamination is even going to cause health concerns. Um, with, I've heard of, of some clients who have contacted us with nosebleeds and, and health problems like that, and that's short-term health concerns, and we're not really sure about what the long-term health effects are going to be with the drywall either. This is John. I hear what Scott's saying, and, and yeah, I think he, he, he's done a fair job of finding sort of the universe of possible problems that are stemming from what appears to be the Chinese drywall. As he said, that it's not at all clear on the exact causal reasons for all of this, but the the, the span of possible problems goes from as simple as a bad smell, a rotten egg, a chemical soup type of thing, moving on into more of a corrosive effect and then leading into pretty significant needs in some instances for uh, you know, property replacement and remediation, and then you move into the whole other world from property into health. And I think that Scott will agree that uh, in the health realm, there is lots to learn still, but the the allegations could span anywhere from nosebleeds and, and coughs all the way to one fellow was recorded at the MDL conference, one of the conferences is representing families with dead babies. Now that's a bit of an extreme, but those types of claims are already floating around in the media at least. And I've even read this week, um, this is my first time I've ever seeing it, there's a claim that it might be radioactive. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, right. But, yeah, the, the claims as far as the health effects and the health damages causing are, we, have a, we definitely have a lot to learn there. And there are definitely a lot of um, allegations. Yeah, that's a new one on me, but I, you know, nothing surprises me in this realm at this point. We call this Chinese drywall. Why don't you explain to our listeners where this comes from, how it got started, who set the specifications for it, and how it got brought into the United States? Okay. This is John. I'll start on this one, Scott, if that's okay. Basically, I don't think there's a lot of dispute about this. Between the housing boom in sort of the 04, 05, 06 timeframe and Katrina and the effects of that, there ended up being sort of a marketplace shortage for drywall in this country. The place that that the market turned to was China. And in this particular case, one particular Chinese manufacturer, I I believe owned by a German company, seems to have been the source for a large majority of many, many thousands of tons of drywall that came into the country between 04 and 07 and was used in building many homes and possibly some other structures throughout the country. I also think there's sort of a consensus that a large majority of that building and that usage happened in the south-southwest. That said, 
There's also tracking of some of this product into California ports and as high up as New York City ports. So, you know, where we end up in terms of the scope geographically is an unknown. How would someone identify Chinese drywall in their home? Um, that's, it's not as, it's easy and it's difficult. Um, on the one hand, a lot of the news reports and a lot of the inspectors that I talk to, one of the things that asks residents to look for first is really an odd smell or an egg-like smell in their home to actually find out whether the drywall is from China. I mean, you one way to do it is to go somewhere where maybe the drywall is exposed. Sometimes in the attic, the drywall is exposed or go into your wall and take a look at the drywall and the backside is sometimes stamped with um, the manufacturer. You might see made in China on it or something. Um, another thing is there are home inspection services popping up in these southern states. In Florida and in Louisiana, I know there I know a number of them where a homeowner can hire these inspectors to come out. They'll take a piece of your drywall and they'll actually send it to a lab to test. Um, and that's probably one of the more... If there is some problem with fraud as far as some of these inspection services not really having any way to ins- way to determine way to inspect it properly but if you do find yourself a, a, a reliable inspector that might be one of the best ways to determine whether you have first Chinese drywall and second Chinese drywall that is contaminated as opposed to maybe Chinese drywall that's not John what's the defense side of this suit when you get this kind of a lawsuit how do you defend it well it's a little complicated because it will depend on who you're defending. And as one of your, your questions may touch on later, the, the scope of who could be sued here starts with the people who put it into the wall, meaning you know the subcontractor who came in and put the drywall up, and then go backward through the builder, through the suppliers to the builder, through the shippers to the suppliers, and all the way back to the mine. So you're really looking at a whole bunch of different potential Descendants, and in some in some places beyond that, it could be insurance carriers getting sued directly in states that allow direct action. So you've got quite a variety of people you'd be defending. Now that said, you'd be defending largely against warranty, strict liability, negligence types of claims. And how do you defend that? Well, it's expensive, and it's tricky because it will depend on a lot on facts that none of us on this call, and frankly, none of us in the world yet know. So part of it's just going to be developing the factual background to handle and apply the law as we go forward. And are there differences by geography? I've, I've heard that in the South with heat and humidity, it's worse than it is in the North where it's cold. Well, Scott, you may have a thought on this, but what I would say is, yeah, my sense of it so far is that because, A, most of the drywall seems to have been taken to the South, that's, that's part of it, and that's where it's hot. But there's another part that says, well, you know, if the South has nine months of heat and humidity, and it took two to three years for this to this problem to arise in these homes in some cases, what about states like Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio? What about D.C., you know, where they only have three months of hot, humid weather? Could it take an additional two, three, four years to pop up there? Who knows? So, yeah, I would say that the consensus is heat and humidity plays a part. Yeah, and I think that that might be one of the reasons that that might be one of the explanations to why we know drywall, this Chinese drywall is getting put in some of these northern states, but it's really not causing as much of disruption as it is in the South. But it's just one of those facts that we don't know yet, too. So when people installed this, was there any way to know that there was a problem with it as they installed it? 
Is this basically, I guess the question I'm asking, is this a strict liability uh, situation or is it negligence? Well, I don't know that it's either. This is John. I, I, I will tell you that my understanding factually so far is the influx of drywall occurred, the use of drywall occurred, and largely ended when the market was able to domestically fill the needs before any of this appeared. I don't, I don't know that there's a real bit of controversy on that. So how we play out in terms of strict liability and negligence, who knows? But you know, the first thing's first. Did the people who put it in the walls actually know it was a problem? I don't think there's much, if any, evidence out there suggesting that. I think it was more, it got used, it became potentially a problem, but that was after people were already stopping using it. And Scott, what kind of damages are we talking about? Let's let's talk about first just the property issues. I mean, it sounds to me like this stuff corrodes everything in its sight. Yeah, the property issues are a lot clearer than the health issues, as John was saying earlier. I mean, as far as the health concerns go, we don't know what the damages are, what's causing some of these people's health problems. But the property stuff is the clearest portion of damages. The drywall itself, if the drywall is contaminated, then it itself has to be removed. Um, the damages that it's causing is another problem, and I think that's varying dependent on location. In the south, it's, sometimes it has a much more corrosive effect, which may be because of the humidity. And um, in one home may have a lot of symptoms, and another home may have no symptoms. And I've seen that happen in the houses that were right next door to one another with the same drywall being installed. But what is actually happening is there are plumbing fixtures that are getting um, corroded. People's air conditioning coils are being corroded and, and the air conditioning systems are being affected. The electrical wire is getting a, a, um, a black soot on it. And I've, I've heard reports that even the building studs are starting to get a soot and a, a corrosion from its contact with the drywall, um, which... You know, when you go in and you need to replace this stuff, you need let's, let's take a worst-case scenario home, they have to replace the drywall, they have to replace some of the wiring, have to replace some fixtures, do some work on the air conditioning systems, maybe do some work on the studs, um, you know, remediate it in some way, and then repl- and then put the drywall back and repaint it, fix the trim. You know, it's a um, it's quite a feat. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all in some instances of the worst-case scenario to see it cost more to do what was just described than to just build another house. Because you're really talking about tearing a house apart piece by piece down to the studs potentially, replacing everything that can corrode, every wire, every bit of metal, and then redoing it all. I mean, look, look at the cabinetry in your kitchen and think to yourself, what's behind the cabinetry? Drywall. So you're not just talking about pulling walls off. You're talking about pulling almost the whole house apart before you start to fix it, if in fact it's, it's that kind of a situation. Right, relocating furniture, relocating the family. Um, there's a lot, lot of there. things. Does this have any effect on the furniture in the home? Some people will say yes, some people will say no, and I think that that probably falls into the bucket of we just don't know yet. And it will also depend, frankly, on what kind of furniture. You know, there's metal, there's there's glass, but there's also cushions, there's leather. What furniture are we talking about? Could be any of the above. What kind of reach is this litigation going to involve? I mean, are we going to be dragging companies from China and Germany in, into um, this litigation? So far, the wave of litigation that I've seen has um, been through class actions. There's been a number of class actions filed against these foreign manufacturers um, and some of the big players, some of the big suppliers who supplied a large portion of this. And it's interesting because these class actions 
um, which were filed in a number of states, um, they they don't include the builders and they don't include the suppliers. Where at the beginning of this call, what John was saying was that you really the, your intuition is to start with the person who actually directly supplied the property to the home. And what has actually happened is I think the bulk of litigation so far has focused on the far end, which is a products liability lawsuit against the foreign manufacturers. We're just starting to see um, a little more consistently suits directly against builders and suppliers pop up across the states, um, which I think is going, going to increase over the next coming months. Yeah, and whether it be aggressive plaintiff's counsel or defense counsel forced into a situation, I do believe you're going to end up seeing everyone up and down the chain joined into these cases. And I would also note, and I think Scott, Scott's aware of this, I've looked at Scott's uh, blog and I think he has it in there, you know, there's also a whole bunch of state actions that are not getting pulled into the multi-district litigation. So that's separate and apart. Scott, let's talk about the multi-district litigation. What's the scope of this uh, so far? Scope of it so far, the scope as far as parties or claims? Both. Both. The scope of it so far, as I touched on with the parties, are they really focusing on the big players? They've had class actions filed in, I would say, almost every southern state. And all of these class actions were just recently consolidated for the purposes of discovery in the um, Louisiana Eastern District Federal Court. So for the time being, the, those cases are going to be handled through the New Orleans Federal Court. Um, it's filed against the foreign manufacturers. It's filed against some of the big suppliers. And the claims that they present are a lot of products liability claims, um, sort of similar to when China produces a toy that has a big problem and we want to sue them for the liability on the product. It's similar to that action. And there is some, um, with regard to the suppliers, there are some claims made um, based in redhibition or based in um, express and implied warranties regarding the sale of the product. But I want to say that for the most part, from what I've read, the claims feel more negligence-oriented than warranty-oriented insofar as a construction warranty goes because, as I mentioned, they haven't really sued the builders and the, the direct suppliers to the home. And I think that when if they did want to start suing the builders and the direct suppliers, they would have some problems with jurisdiction and um, and, and certifying it as a class, which is one of the reasons maybe why those plaintiff's attorneys have stayed away from that. John, in terms of the litigation that you've seen so far, it occurs to me that someone could be alleging uh, some environmental claims here, say CERCLA uh, or some of the federal or even state uh, environmental statutes. Have you seen anybody use those? I haven't seen them. I don't. I don't put anything beyond the scope of possibility. I, I don't know that CERCLA and things like that are going to get you in the straightest line and the most efficient manner to recovery if you are a plaintiff here. So I, I, I question whether they'd be an efficient way to go about this when you have open to you things like warranty and strict liability and negligence. So my sense is we're not going to go there. Uh, and, and I also don't know that they would be applicable unless you're looking at something that actually got into the earth, because you know, a lot of that, that area of statutory law goes to more contamination into the earth, soil, waters, etc., as opposed to into a product, in this case, a house or a wall. Scott, do you have a thought about that? No, I haven't really thought about that. Um, and that's probably because, as John's saying, it's, it's probably a little far-fetched, but I haven't looked into it. 
enough to really talk about it. But from what John says, I would think that he's probably right on, on right on target there. So is this drywall a, a cheaper alternative? Or as John said, was it simply just the fact that we were overwhelmed with the housing boom and we had to get uh, drywall from another source? Not cheaper now. You know? um, I think what John said was correct, that it was really imported into the United States because of the increase in demand. Um, but at the same time, there was I, I've spoken to builders who did have a choice between United States drywall and um, Chinese drywall, and they actually chose the Chinese drywall because it was less expensive at the time, not knowing there was any difference. Um, because I, I think that while the reason why it came into the country was because of a shortage, it wasn't there. Were, it wasn't in the its entire time in the country. There, it wasn't that we were out of domestic drywall. It was just that it was limited in supply. So it's a combination of two things. One is that for a while it was sometimes the only thing available, but when it wasn't the only thing available, it was actually cheaper, and that was an incentive for builders to use it. Yeah, I mean, I think in the end there, Craig, it's, it's just going to come down to this. You either used it or you didn't. If you used it, you're in the game. If you didn't, you got lucky. Yeah, and people, and I, from what I know, I don't. I haven't run into anyone who used it knowing it was going to be going to be contaminated. They knew they knew it was from China. They just didn't know that it had any problems. Well, gentlemen, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk more about Chinese drywall litigation and the fate of the affected residents. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Right from the beginning... You know, I knew I was important. Can you say that about the insurance agency helping to protect your legal practice? Lawyers like Rebecca Brody are confident working with the Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency, knowing they have the best professional liability insurance coverage for the best possible price. It is about customer service. I think that's what we like to promote in our business. You know, we did have some kind of specialty questions. We did have some concerns. It was really great, and I really felt like if I'm that well taken care of it, it made it possible for me to go and take care of, you know, take care of my business and take care of my clients. Give us a call at 800-336-5422 or visit our website at landy.com. That's L-A-N-D-Y dot com. 60 years of experience. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We'd like to welcome back Attorney Scott Wolf Jr., construction litigator at the bi-coastal firm Wolf Law Group, and Attorney John Mullen Sr. from the firm Nelson, Levine, De Luca, and Horst. John, I understand you have to leave early, so if we could, let's wrap up with your final thoughts and your contact information. Well, my contact information is pretty simple. It's just John Mullen, and I'll give you my, my two numbers, 215-358-5154, or my cell, which is 610 608 8785. Try not to call the cell after about midnight. You know, I've got to get some sleep. <laughs> but uh, my final thought is this. I really do think that we are at the beginning, not the middle, and not the end of this litigation. I think that logic says and history says that the property side will hash out scientifically and legally 
well before the personal injury side of this. I think that we're looking at personal injury claims potentially going on for years and years, especially when you consider that minors don't have a particularly problematic statute of limitations to deal with. So I think that we're seeing the beginning, not the middle or the end, and I think you're going to see it for you know, well into the next decade. Well, thank you very much, John. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much. It was good being here. And Scott, let's talk about uh, the residents. Can you give, you know, well, obviously without breaching any attorney-client privileges, but can you give some uh, specifics about some real-life scenarios that you've seen? Sure. I I mentioned a little earlier um, that we've had situations where residents were um, right next door to one another, the same builder, same supplier, the houses were built at the same time, and um, the, the actual effects of the drywall are completely different. So we, we've seen that. Um, we've seen with these residents something that's really unfortunate because while the health effects is very questionable, we don't really know whether it's going to cause health problems. Um, but I think that the, the recommendation that I've heard so far is kind of be better to be safe than sorry. And one of the things that I'm recommending and anybody who, anybody who I've spoke with about this is really recommending is that if they can try to get out of the house um, while repairing the drywall. And um, unfortunately, what we've seen is, for the most part, these residents don't have the ability to, to leave their house. They, they, these are new homes. They just purchased them. They just, you know, they have a mortgage to pay. And they're, they're stuck in them. They can't really go rent another spot while they get the drywall replaced or while they wait for litigation to resolve so the drywall can get replaced. Um, so they're stuck there with their families, just hoping that the health effects aren't as bad as some reports have indicated. Um, what about the what about the insurance aspects of this? I mean, there are some insurance policies, homeowners insurance policies that include uh, coverage if you need to move out of your home, say after a fire. But are there coverage? Is there coverage for this kind of situation? That's one of the questions that I think is yet to be resolved. In, um, I know that it hasn't happened in Louisiana. We are, we're going to be preparing soon a lawsuit that tries to ask this question. Um, but I know that in, I believe it's Florida, an insurance company, a homeowner's insurance company, filed a petition for declaratory judgment to get the court to declare whether Chinese drywall is covered under the homeowner's policy because the homeowner had made a, had, uh, made a claim. And what they're arguing in Florida is that the pollution exclusion is a reason why coverage would be excluded under the policy. That is, in Florida, I've, I've read just very little in Florida and Texas about how the courts interpret the pollution exclusion. And I think that in those states, homeowners may have a problem getting around that pollution exclusion. In Louisiana, from what I've read, I think the homeowners have a little bit more to hold on to in arguing that the pollution exclusion does not exclude this particular type of damage. Um, but all across the country, it's sort of a new, it, it's definitely a new type of damage and a new, it's going to be a new theory that's going to be applying the pollution exclusion to Chinese drywall. So that's a question that remains to be seen. But that goes back to one of my examples about what we're encountering when we're with these residents is these residents are just learning about this Chinese drywall. And one of the things that we stress to them is, you know, the time is ticking. You have, you have just a, a small amount, you just have a small window to make these insurance claims. You have a small window to make these warranty claims against your builder. And it's important to do it um, as soon as you can. Because in Louisiana, for example, the, 
they only have a resident only has one year to file their insurance claim. And some of these reports were coming out about Chinese drywall in the area in January and February. So if they've known about this in January and February, six months has already flown by. How about the manufacturer's insurance? What kind of response are you getting from the manufacturers and the installer's insurance companies? The same thing, the pollution exclusion is what they're going to be relying on there. And once again, it hasn't been brought to the forefront yet because I think that all these claims are so new that we haven't really gotten so far as to have these issues litigated. And these issues even, I know, like from the from the standpoint of my firm and the, the cases that we've handled, we, we're barely to the point, because these calls are just starting to come in, we're barely to the point of having the insurance companies come back and allege that the pollution exclusion is what they're relying on to exclude coverage. Um, but from what I've read in the other states and from what I've seen, that's what they're that is something that they're going to rely upon. So I think I think it all boils down to the pollution exclusion. Um, and also, they might claim that this is not a damage and it's a workmanship issue. But I, I think they would have a very difficult time claiming that this is something that the builder would be responsible for because it's workmanship and not damage covered under the policy. But that may be something that comes up. Well, Scott, we've reached the point in the program where we need to get your final thoughts and your contact information as well. Sure. Well, my final thoughts are some of these residents um, and the builders, they're being faced with a situation that presents a lot of novel areas of law. Um, we, We know a lot about warranty law. We know a lot about products liability and about insurance, but we haven't really applied it to this type of situation where there's so many parties involved and there's so many questions. Um, and for that reason, for builders and residents, it's important for them to go and act now and seek counsel because it's time. This is a problem. It's going to cost a lot of money to really, regardless of how much damage is causing to their particular home, the fact that they have the drywall on their walls it could be a very costly problem for them. Um, and for builders, there's a lot of exposure. And the best thing for both of those parties is to really get counsel and to start figuring out how, how they're going to protect their rights because both builders and suppliers and residents all have potential places where they can get recovery for the damages here. Um, so get counsel. And my contact information is Scott Wolf. Uh, my email is scott at wolflaw.com. Wolf is spelled with an E, W-O-L-F-E, law.com. And our domain name is wolflaw.com. We run a Chinese drywall blog where we talk about some of the issues related to builders and residents with the Chinese drywall saga. And our Chinese drywall blog is just chinesedrywallblog.com. Great. Well, Scott, thank you very much for being on the show today. Thanks for having and- me. That does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows on LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'd like to extend a very special thanks to both John Mullen and Scott Wolf for being with us today. And you can find all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes as well. We'll be back again next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think Lawyer to Lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.